Welcome into this episode of the Thunder Sports Report. I'm Russ Lindsay, joined as we are usually with Abram Erickson. And Abram, we get to talk this week with some snow on the ground. <laughs> Just a really weird, <laughs> weird morning waking up to, uh, to some cold temperatures and, and snow here here on campus. Well, yeah, it certainly was. I, I had heard rumors over the weekend, but I will say that I wasn't completely sold we were going to see it until I opened my bedroom window this morning and, and there it was. So, of course, it none of it stuck. It's all melted now. But, um, you know, the first snow, it always it always comes at some point here. It seems like we get surprised with it in October. Yeah, last year I think we had four or five inches of snow there for Halloween, and here we are again with a week or so to go, and we're, we get a dusting again. So certainly a tough trend we've had the last few years. But, uh, I mean, it felt like felt like more of a normal weekend, at least, uh, with, with a, more of a full slate of, of Big Ten action joining the college football landscape, and then you get to some excellent World Series baseball and – it felt like, at least for the sports fan, that it was kind of a, a return to normalcy almost where you just kind of get your regular slate of what you would expect this time of year. Yeah, I would agree. And it, it felt like for the first time you had options is kind of the way I thought about it is you didn't have to watch the only sport that was on. Um, you could you could kind of flip through and, you know, do I want to watch college football or the NFL or I want to tune into some baseball? And there were plenty of different things to uh, to choose from. And, yeah, I would I would agree. It felt, it, it felt nice um, certainly being able to – to get back to that and see some of my favorite teams back in action in different sports um, for the first time. Yeah, and I think both of us being Midwesterners, we're kind of looking forward to see how the Big Ten would handle its return. And everything seemed to be going well until one of the big storylines of the weekend, which was Graham Mertz has a positive test. And now the Big Ten schedule is immediately thrown into lingo and it's kind of, or limbo, and it's kind of a pretty subtle reminder of why we are dealing with an empty sports schedule here at our level uh, this fall. Yeah, well, I thought Michigan State's loss to Rutgers was going to be the worst part of, of my weekend uh, in terms of college football, but apparently not, as we find out, you know, like you said, everything may be in jeopardy going forward. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's a reminder, I think, that um, although it did feel like a weekend of normalcy, we, there at the back end of it, we're just had to, of course, creep into the back of our minds and say, well, how long is this feasible? Um, you know, can it be kept safe for the for the Big Ten to come back? We've seen it with pretty good amounts of success in the NFL. I remember talking a couple weeks ago when we said, wow, there's really not been any issues yet. And of course, since then, we've seen individual players or certain teams come down with it and um, have to postpone games and things like that. And certainly could could be a, an uphill battle to get to get a Big Ten season in like they want to. Right. And they're, they, of course, being ambitious with no bye weeks to, to make up any of those games. And as we continue to inch along here through through the fall and get closer to basketball season, you start to question what they can do as a lot of these division one programs still don't have schedules finalized. And that, I mean, that even trickles down to us here at Wheaton where there's still any number of things up in the air. I think we were, we were talking before we started recording here that, I mean, I think we're about three weeks away from what would normally be a season opener or, or the, the uh, Lee fund Beth Baker weekend. And here we don't know anything. Uh, it just kind of feels like these teams are practicing it and waiting for someone in, in leadership to tell them what's next. And, and we're getting dangerously close here to to where's the tipping point and, and where do where does I mean, at some point, the conference needs to step in and tell these teams what what the plan is. And I, I think it, you're probably starting to sense some frustration. I, I haven't talked to those winter sport coaches, but you're probably sensing some frustration of, well, what are we practicing for and what's our aim point? How do we? How and when do we amp it up to, to get ready to play a game 
um, when we just don't know and nobody's telling us what's next. Yeah, I, I'll be honest, one of my first thoughts this morning when I saw the snow on the ground was, you know, we're getting into winter and that means winter sports. And I got a little bit excited to see that we're moving in that direction. But of course, then the realization hits you that we don't have much information about when that could start. Um, of course, around this time, like you said, we'd be gearing up for Lee Fund and Beth Baker. And that's, of course, one of the highlights of, of the winter for us. And, and that's, that's something that's not on the schedule. And, and we don't know when that opening weekend is going to be. So had to catch myself when I saw that this morning, even though hopefully and optimistically, um, we are on our way to, to getting something on, on the books um, in terms of knowing when we'd, we'd play next. But of course, it's up in the air and, and we just haven't heard. Yeah, it it does feel a little bit like the fall in the sense that you're starting to see some dominoes fall that were kind of uh, wind socks, if you will, of which way the wind was going to blow when things started to get canceled in the fall. You saw the NESCAC cancel their winter sports. You've seen a couple other conferences out in the Northeast have canceled their winter sports, and those were the same conferences that were quick or one of the first to cancel in the fall. So I think there's some worry that we we might be headed in a similar direction but the longer this drags on the more we're likely looking at what's probably a conference only schedule and you hope that you can even get a full conference only schedule because again you just don't have what seems to be a leadership void from the conference and that no one's just stepping up and saying hey or even letting them know hey this is what we're waiting on to make any kind of decision at all and it's just leaving these athletes and coaches in the wind yeah, well, you talk about dominoes falling. I mean, we, like you said, we had that feeling um, even when we were heading home um, from school back in the spring. I remember hearing about some of the first schools that were closing down and sending students home and just had a kind of sinking feeling in your gut that we knew we were going to be next. And of course, we were shortly after. Um, you know, we were sent home there around spring break time. And so, of course, you want to you want to feel like we can somehow accomplish a season here for winter sports safely and that, that those dominoes falling out east aren't necessarily going to affect us. But we have seen over the last couple of weeks rising rising numbers in different places that have, you know, I think definitely brought into question what winter is going to look like as weather gets colder and people move inside um, that have that have kind of made people's radar go up a little bit more um, when while things on campus have have stayed pretty stable and, and really safe. Um, that's not always the case everywhere else. Right. And and as you start to look at returning to competition, Wheaton's bubble is just at the mercy of however safe all these other schools are. And once, once Wheaton's athletes start competing against these other teams, that at that point you've got a penetration and a, a pop in the bubble that you start to ex expose and, and worry about the ripple effect of, of what you're bringing in in connection with these other schools. So you're really at the mercy of every other school in the conference. And again, we've talked at length about Wheaton's success in, in testing and limiting numbers and and having a pretty good and, and safe return to campus this year. And, and, and as you look at the return to play, you worry about are the other schools, uh, are, are they going to be a drag on Wheaton's success once Wheaton starts to play them? Yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, we've, we've talked about it and we've been so pleased by it. And, of course, we've we've had athletes practicing all fall, um, and they've been you know certainly going through some extra protocols of getting tested every week, and you know some random spot testing and different things like that that athletics and athletes have been going through to make sure things stay safe. But you have to remember that you know playing sports within the bubble that's not the reason things can get out of hand really. Um, if if all the Wheaton athletes are just playing against other Wheaton athletes that are still inside this bubble, like you said, it's going to be when 
whether we travel there or, or other people travel here to play games, um, that's something that can cause, like you said, a penetration or a pop in the bubble that is something we haven't had to deal with yet as we've been all staying on campus and, and playing within teams and, and practicing within your individual squads, which um, are all a part of campus here and have, have, like we said, done that really good job of, of staying staying safe. Well, we have seen in the sports that have been able to return to play, the, the most success we've had have been in bubble setups. That's been the NHL and the NBA. And even to, to, to their credit, the, NBA, the MLB playoffs have been safe. We, MLB has gone almost two months, I believe, now between positive tests. Um, and, and so you, you start to feel good about the bubble setup and, and that, but we mentioned the bubble setup because our guest on this week's podcast is, is someone is a Wheaton graduate, Wheaton football grad, Shola Olateju, who is currently in a bubble setup, uh, down in San Antonio, preparing for the season opener of the spring league. And obviously it's not spring, uh, but so you, this was something that they were hoping to do in the spring and has been pushed now to fall, but Shola has the opportunity uh, to, to open his professional career and on a big stage, on a national broadcast. And so you hope that the success of the bubble setup that we've seen have success across the landscape can continue and give someone like Shola a, a, a full season to have a pretty significant opportunity here to, to kind of establish himself and give professional teams a look at it, at his play. Yeah. And something that, is really exciting that that we're going to get the chance to see it. Um, it's not going to be something that's happening down in the bubble and, and is going to be kept from us. But like you said, we'll get a national television broadcast. We'll get a chance to tune in tonight. And we'll, of course, hear Shola talk about that. Um, but excited to hear from him and excited to see um, what goes on down there in San Antonio. And, and great to have a Wheaton name and face down there uh, representing us uh, in San Antonio. So without further ado, this week's guest on the Thunder Sports Report, Wheaton football alum, Shola Olateju. Well, hey, Shola, thanks for taking the time to join us here on the Thunder Sports Report. Let's uh, let's start at the beginning, um, since I know it's probably been a few years since since some alumni have, have heard your name out there, having having graduated a few years ago. Let's, let's go back to the recruiting process and kind of talk a little bit about how you ended up choosing Wheaton and what, what stood out about Wheaton that, that brought you to, uh, to join the Thunder football team. Yeah, absolutely, Rusty. And thanks, thanks for having me on here. Um, it's funny to go back, uh, back to my path to Wheaton because uh, it's pretty different from most other guys that ended up playing football at the school. Um, I was not recruited in the same fashion. And, and really, actually, I only ended up at Wheaton because my father made me go. Um, I actually didn't have a choice. <laughs> um, so that means I, I applied late to the school because I had no intention of going. Um, and, you know, my family had this rule where, you, you know, you did, you did need to have at least one Christian school um, under consideration. And, but, you know, I already knew where I wanted to go, which was a small school in California, Claremont McKenna College. And so I didn't even apply. And then uh, when they found out, they, they still had me apply and it, it, when decision day ro rolled around, um, my father really actually had felt the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit to kind of have me hold off uh, for for a week, and then he wanted to talk to me. And in his polite way, he he you know was like, "You're going to Wheaton College," <laughs> um, and and it produced you know it's it's funny now, and and but it produced a lot of frustration. I mean, I was pretty upset with him for a while. We didn't talk for a while, and, and it was probably the most uh, most of my anger I've ever had towards my father and. You know, after being at Wheaton for, for even just a quad, I, I came back and I remember apologizing to him during fall break because I loved, loved being at Wheaton and, and it was just a great experience. 
Um, first time I had made any contact with the football team, Coach Jesse Scott, the head coach now, he, he, uh, he had reached out to me the winter of my senior year. And I think he knew who I was um, because a fellow player I had played high school with, I had actually ran track with in high school, Jordan Dornbush, he had, he had told him about me. So, so Jordan knew I was a, a Christian and knew I was an athlete at, at Moundsview, but I didn't have any major accolades at Moundsview. I was a one-year starter. Um, and because Dornbush had already been at Wheaton for three years, I, I kind of a little doubtful that he really maybe knew that much about my playing career there. You know, it wasn't spectacular, but so I think they reached out to me because Dornbush told me, hey, maybe you might be interested, and I expressed zero interest, and so that was it. You know, I didn't know anything about the program, didn't know what it stood for, um, but they were kind enough to let me on. So they had a, they had an opening, and they were kind enough, uh, Coach Scott and Coach Swider were kind enough to let me on the team when I knew I was going to leave. So, yeah, I ended up joining the team pretty late, I think in June or July of the summer prior, and I'm the, and I was the only guy in my class to, to not room with another football player, if that tells anything, too. <laughs> wow. So what was it during that first quad? When did it kind of click for you then that you went from kind of being begrudgingly there to to embracing being at Wheaton? Yeah, you know, when I realized there's over the summer, when I realized there's nothing I could do about it, um, you just kind of come to peace with, with the decision. I went out for, um, you know, we have like a workout day in the middle of summer and, and I came out to, to meet some of the guys and, and that was a positive experience. And, and finally, I, you know, when I met some of the guys, I was just so impressed by their size. Everyone was way bigger, way stronger, way faster. Um, and I was really blown away. And then really from day one, stepping on campus, me and my teammates, I just, I, I had a blast and I loved it. I think I, I'd say I smiled for probably, you know, the entire semester straight. Like, I don't know if I had a bad day. It was just, I mean, it was overwhelming. Don't get me wrong. The football part was definitely overwhelming. But by and large, I just loved my teammates, loved the guys that I got to meet, and you know, great experience. And you, I mean, your class ends up being the backbone of of one of the best stre- stretches there in, in Wheaton football's program history. Um, at what point did it become clear to you that you probably had had a role and a significant one coming forward as you go through that year, um, and and really to become the future back that ends up being uh the the record holder there as a senior yeah you know i think it was a, a goal i had definitely did not create until a little bit into my time probably um you know the off season going into my sophomore year i know i had set a goal to to get playing time i really wanted to be a starter um and, and i think i only recognized that i could have that potential because you know frankly coach scott saw that potential in me i remember Early on in training camp, I, I was clearly overwhelmed. I, I came from a very simple offense in high school. I, I literally did not know how to play football that that much, which guys kind of kind of joked about. But I just didn't know a lot of the rules because I started football so late and just didn't grow up watching it. Um, and so I was, I was super overwhelmed. But he he just saw something in me and and said, "Hey, you know, so if you take this seriously, you could really be a special player here." And so uh, I really just tried to pay close attention throughout my freshman year. I gained a lot of weight, um, got a lot bigger. And um, in the off season, when I sat down with Coach Black and, and um, offensive coordinator, coordinator at the time and Coach Sears, I just, you know, thought about, okay, well, what do I want my career here to look like? And I, I felt like me helping the team in the best way possible meant being the best athlete I could be and the best football player I could be. And, and I believe that that meant uh, being, you know, fighting for a starting role. So that's, that was what my goal was at the time. 
obviously you guys had the disappointment of being left on the table as a senior, but you had that junior run to the quarterfinals that that really peaked with the win at North Central in in the playoffs. Can you can you talk a little bit about what it meant to to win a rivalry game in the playoffs and and, and get back to the quarterfinals again as a program? Yeah. Yeah, that was truly a special game. I mean, it was it was absolutely a blast. I mean, it's always a fun time playing North Central and, and battle for the Little Brass Bell. Um, that that year was a bummer. We you know we had we had lost the bell. Um, it was the first time during my tenure there that we had lost the bell, and um, it was also then the first time playing them in the playoffs. And, and we just we knew going in without a doubt, there's no way we were going to play North Central again and not come away with with a win. And so. Uh, I think there's just a lot of um, extra feelings, a lot of emotion, and, and even some extra preparation and attention to that game that made it really worthwhile and, and pretty sweet to, to win. And then obviously you go on as a senior to set the the single season rushing yards, and and you had a, you had a stretch there the second half of the season where, where the rushing numbers really took off for you. What was it there in the second half of the season, and especially obviously that Carroll game that kind of just kept giving you chances, giving you chances until you hit the big one. <laughs> to break that, but that second half of the year, you really were, were playing some of your best ball. What was it that, that opened that up for you there in your senior year? Yeah, you know, we had a few guys, um, you know, that, that you know, kind of came into circumstances that made it so they couldn't play with us anymore. And, and that made the first half of the season pretty difficult. You know, a lot of uh, just keeping them on mind and then thinking about, okay, how does that affect what we do with the guys that are still playing? And, and how does that affect, uh, my sense of team and what it means to go out there and, and play my best. And so, um, you know, I think just out of respect for those guys, out of a love for those guys to say, hey, you know, if, if they can't play and I'm still blessed with this opportunity, I, I got to go out there and, and, and leave it all on the field. I can't hold back. And um, I, I think, you know, I know actually my, my teammates felt much the same way. And, and uh, running back success is, is really tied hand in hand with a, a, with their offensive line and, and how dialed in they are. So, so really the credit goes to my offensive line for opening up those running lanes and, and, you know, just doing their job right. Uh, they essentially make me look good out there. I just, I just uh, follow the spaces that, that they open up. So I think just, you know, them believing in me and them believing in, in the team that we had and, and just what we're able to accomplish really, really allowed um, those numbers to, to, to grow throughout the season. Obviously the focus being on football, given where you're at right now in your career, but you were also a two sport athlete. Uh, at Wheaton having a successful track and field career as well. What what do you think you kind of j- took away from the experience of having to balance two sports, but also have uh, the benefits of training and, and having that competitive off season in the spring with the track program? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest takeaways is the balance of, you know, <laughs> juggling a busy schedule. I think even post-college I, um, you know, needed to balance, working full time with, with trying to train at a professional level. And it's, it's similar difficulties when you're taking, you know, full load and, and you have two sports you're wanting to be a part of and excel at. So just, you know, taking extra time and attention to the, to the small details, knowing, Hey, you know, I don't have necessarily the same off season to devote to any of those, to either of those sports because I'm in another season. So the practice time that I do have, I really just need to be dialed in. And, and I was a triple jumper. I loved it. I think, Triple jumping is one of the best ways to um, improve your um, overall athleticism, your explosion, your flexibility. And I'm very grateful for, for Coach Bradley and the, the program that he develops there. Um, just a strong attention to the details and really becoming efficient as an athlete. Um, you know, 
So I, those are some of the big takeaways that I was just able to take away, take from some experiences in, in track and field and, and bring them onto the football field as well. It's just that focus on being overall athletic, um, attention to detail, and and you know being strategic about your time and efforts. Uh, and then what, what, what would you, uh, I, I mean, obviously you, you, you go after that, your, your senior season, and then you're training for a professional career. So what's, what's been the postgraduate route for you? What, have, what, what kind of has led you to this opportunity that we're about to talk about and, and you're kind of on the precipice of here with the spring league? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, as I was finishing out my senior year, I did, I knew I wanted to continue um, continue my, my football pursuits and um, saw that I, I believed that I, I had the uh, talents and the ability to do so and, and was really affirmed by my coaches. And uh, even Andy Sweetbaker was a huge role in that, just having come off a long career in the NFL and for him to say, hey, you know, I've played a, a lots of running backs uh, over, over my tenure and I've seen a lot of different running backs. And I know without a doubt you, you have that ability to play. Um, but there are still a few things that are up, uphill battles for me, uh, namely coming from, you know, a division three school, sometimes that can um, not at, not make your chances easier. Sometimes it can make it a little bit more difficult because there's not as much hype around D3 traditionally. Um, and I, I was frankly just an undersized back. I mean, I, I touched 200 pounds into my senior year, but a guy my height, you know, I needed to be uh, bigger. I needed to either be wicked fast or, uh, you know, kind of just this, a strong, powerful running back. And so uh, Andy Studebaker plugged me in with TC Boost and working with, with Tommy Christian and Steve Breitenstein and uh, Jonathan Rodriguez and, and some of the other trainers there was, was huge for me. I, I, within a matter of months, um, gained an additional 10 pounds. I remember coming back and seeing some of the guys um, around Wheaton that I played with, and they're like, you know, give me our time. So, hey, how come you weren't this big? you know, throughout your career at Wheaton. And frankly, I didn't know I could get that big. Um, and, I, and I did gain, you know, all, you know, I did gain 20 pounds coming through Wheaton, 20, 25 pounds from high school. So I did get a lot bigger, but I think just having a different shift in the training and the focus allowed me to get even, uh, even bigger again. So, yeah, I mean, the first two months, just that the pure focus on training full time allowed me to kind of get up to speed um, athletics wise with with that next level with the size and the strength and then to work on refining that speed to be able to play at that fast pace as well um i didn't have the means to train full-time indefinitely so then i started a, a full-time career in, in employee benefits in the insurance industry started affiliated benefits so it's just a small shop and and now i work for gallagher which is arthur j gallagher it's just a you know national brokerage firm and and i do that and then i've been training um, as well as still at TC Boost over the last uh, year and a half, two years. Obviously, things have changed in the landscape over the last six months with, with the COVID outbreak and, and the shutdown. And at any point, did I mean, training becomes difficult because, you, I mean, it's obviously indoor facilities have that challenge of not being able to use that. So what is what, how did you have to kind of change things up? And was there a moment where you kind of looked at it maybe during this p pandemic where it's like, maybe, maybe that opportunity isn't there for me anymore? Yeah, you know, I definitely had to have that conversation um, with the mentors and, and uh, family and then just even internally about, okay, how does this affect my dream and, and my desire to play at the next level and my prospects there? And I really tried to view that 
pandemic period as an opportunity to focus on something a little different. Um, okay, yes, I wasn't going to have access to um, working in person with my trainer. I wasn't going to be able to lift weights in the same sense. Uh, but what, what I could do is then spend more time and attention on other areas of the game that I could improve, namely um, my hands and my footwork, uh, maybe looking at um, just practicing at, a, at the receiver position just because of the way the game is going. I, didn't, I did not get split out a lot in college as, as a receiver, but to be a successful running back at the next level, you have to have that ability. So I, you know, I subscribed to, to a program on, on uh, Instagram, the sideline hustle and started working on uh, my receiver ability and, and starting to learn that area of football. So, um, and I just, you know, I saw that, Hey, who knows how COVID would affect things. It, it certainly disrupts the typical uh, speed of new players into the professional level. So, I figured it just it just made sense to keep after it because it, it it actually could help my opportunity in the end and and as I'm seeing um I I'm now faced with a, an incredible opportunity that I I don't know if I would have had if not for COVID. Do you guys you guys obviously open your season on on Tuesday, which is the first day that this podcast will drop. So can you tell us a little bit about how this opportunity came about for you, and then uh, kind of fill people in on on what the spring league is and what they can expect to see. Uh, when they when they watch the league on Fox Sports One this season, yeah, yeah, definitely. The Spring League is an elite professional football development league. It uh, started a few years ago, maybe 2016, and there's been some notable athletes that have come through, such as Johnny Menzel. I think is most well known when he was restarting his career and transitioning to the CFL. He went through the Spring League, and um, I, I think their success is due to the fact of other spring football leagues have tried to upstart with, you know, this huge, um, huge inflow of money and wanting to pay players, making all these big contracts. And what the spring league did differently is they recognized, hey, there is this void. Um, there are good, there is good talent that, you know, wants to be seen. And there's, you know, professional teams that want to continue to scout talent. So why don't we just, you know, flip the format on its head? And so, you know, in the first few years, players actually paid to be a part of the Spring League, and that was how they were able to be viable. The the Spring League became legitimate for me. I, I really knew it was um, a great opportunity when I heard about the story of Blake Jackson. Blake Jackson was the quarterback of Mary Harden-Baylor, who we had played against our junior year in the quarterfinals. And he actually had joined the Spring League after his senior year um, and transitioned from quarterback to receiver at the league, and they ended up getting picked up by the Browns. And, you know, I just told myself, hey, if a D3 quarterback can switch positions, play in the league, and then end up in the NFL, like, this is this is a great opportunity. So um, I ended up joining the league and, and was a part of a showcase in the, the summer of 2019 in Mission Viejo, California. It's a great experience. Um, got me some updated game tape, and then I joined again in, in March of 2020, shortly before COVID restrictions had shut everything down. And that experience was a little bit longer, it's about 10 days, and, and actually got me into some great conversations with a couple of CFL clubs, um, the Toronto Argonauts and Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and, and they liked the tape there. And then uh, the CFL obviously got canceled for their season, and so then I ended up applying for this fall league and here we are now at the spring league for um for their fall league in San Antonio and I'm getting ready for our first game. 
how do you combat the nerves of of the big stage here as you prepare for uh, a game on on national television with your season debut? That's a great question. Um, my trainer Steve Breitenstein at, at TC Boost, you know, he talks about how nerves are really for the unprepared and. When you're prepared, it's really just excitement, and that's that's what I I remember and, and I find um, comfort in you know to know hey you know, I am ready for this I am uh, prepared for this and so I just I'm excited for this opportunity to to be play on the stage and I think it'll be a fun time but um, I'm also extremely grateful for my time at, at Wheaton football and, and how it's created this opportunity for me as well and, and made it so you know I'm a, I'm a player who can compete and. Uh, we can get ready to play at the next level as well. So I'm just excited. Yeah, what do you feel like uh, the biggest lesson that you kind of took away from your Wheaton football experience was and, and how that's really helping you dig into this experience and prepare for for this professional experience? I would say the biggest lesson would be that the opportunity is in the details. What I mean by that is, being diligent in how we prepare for meetings, for practices, for lifts, um, focusing on the technique, being highly aware of my body, um, you know, putting in every single effort that I can into every single rep. Those are all the, the, the traits and the habits that I picked up and learned from, from playing, uh, playing at Wheaton. And it's really what's made it so I'm, I can I can play at this level and, and then I have this opportunity now. So uh, it's just, yeah, just being highly focused at, at the little things and just doing that better than anyone else, knowing at the end of the day, you always default to um, your level of training and, and your habits and that, you don't know, this idea of rising to the occasions, um, I'm not really sure if that's, if that's really a thing as much as defaulting to um, your training. All right. Well, great to hear from Shola Olateju on today's episode of the Thunder Sports Report. And Rusty, I thought another great chance to hear from an alumni um, who's still involved, of course, highly um, pursuing a professional career here. Um, and we'll get a chance to talk about that a little bit as we can see him in action tonight. I thought interesting to hear from Shola about uh, the way he got to Wheaton, of, of course, and a little bit of an interesting story there. And I hear it's good that he can laugh about it now and ultimately um, believed it was the right place for him after what his um, what his father had had decided to uh, encourage him, if we if we could say, to to come to Wheaton early on. Um, but I thought it was interesting how you know we've talked now to Favor as a woozy, we've talked to Shola, and neither of them, of course, very extremely successful athletes um, in terms of uh, accolades while here at Wheaton, and and neither of them came in um, really with a kind of standard recruiting experience where they showed up and, you know, had known they were coming to Wheaton for a while and, and then showed up and had success from the get-go. Um, really great to hear the, the progression of both of those athletes. And in Shola's case here, um, you know, maybe a little more begrudgingly came into Wheaton, but, but once he was here, you heard him talk about um, being here during A-Quad and just really lighting up and, and loving it here. And his progression through the Wheaton football program, ultimately up until that senior season, um, Something that I think by the end, you know, he he was willing to say he he was glad he came, and something that's prepped him well for this opportunity that that he has now in the spring league. Yeah, Shola was one that I remember talking with Jesse Scott as as you you, as you get into training camps early in years and say, hey, who are some of the new guys that you you kind of look at and say this is going to be someone you're going to call their name a lot. 
on broadcasts. And I remember talking to Jesse early in Shola's career, like this, this is, this is the kid. Uh, this is, you know, this is going to be, this is going to be our guy um, later in his career. And sure enough, he goes on uh, to, to set the single season rushing mark as a senior and, and uh, put himself right up there uh, near the top of the career rushing marks uh, and just had a terrific career. And uh, you heard him talk about that, you know, he, he wasn't really experienced coming into Wheaton. And I think that's probably more impressive is, is that, you know, he's kind of really hit his growing stretch in the game while at Wheaton. And I, you mentioned the kind of non-traditional recruiting cycle. And I think that's, that's kind of, I, I think you, if you were to talk to people around campus, you probably would be surprised at how many people, even non-athletes uh, ended up at Wheaton. Uh, maybe not, the way you would think they would, maybe not by choice, but because of other circumstances. And that's just the Lord's leading into putting them uh, where, the, where they need to be. And then uh, you certainly felt that with Shola and, and, you know, to his credit, he came with an open mind. And, and he, like he said, by the time he was home after his first quarter semester, he knew he was in the place he needed to be. Um, so just, just kind of a great story and, and a kind of humorous story when you hear him tell it of, you know, not necessarily by choice, but certainly by leading, he ended up uh, in in the place that he was meant to be. Yeah, and he talked about, um, I thought it was interesting, is he, he went kind of throughout his Wheaton career and then talked about uh, leaving Wheaton, of course. He's been, been he's graduated uh, now a couple of years back and has been in the real world and has talked about his training experience and kind of the difficulties of, of not being able to train full time um, while trying to pursue a professional career, ultimately, you know, getting a full-time job, training on the side. He talked about some of the intense training he had gone through and um, how he'd, he'd really bulked up and were, improved his speed. And, um, you know, I think all of that comes from originally, like like you heard him say, he's he wasn't uh, a real big guy coming into Wheaton. He, he certainly put on some weight while he was here, um, but then continued to do so um, as he's left Wheaton. And, and now that's left him in a spot where he feels good about moving forward. Um, in, in a league um, that's going to, of course, have, have some talent. And, and you heard him talk about Johnny Manziel and others that have come from the spring league and, and the success that it has had. Um, really exciting to hear that he's taking part in it and, and has a chance to really make an impact here for himself. And, um, of course, that, that started, like you heard him say, um, from his time at Wheaton. Um, just a really exciting story and exciting that we're going to get to watch it firsthand. Yeah, and and I will be interested to see because, like you said, he's a totally different body type than when he was when he was an athlete. So I'll be interested to see what that looks like on the field uh, when they take the field Tuesday night on Fox Sports One. And looking at the schedule, his team has the most appearances on the national broadcasts of this schedule. It's a four it's a four week schedule with a championship game, and I think his team's on the national broadcast uh, three of the four weeks. So a great opportunity for him to catch a lot of eyeballs and. Um, he, he had mentioned, you know, had some conversations after the showcase with some Canadian teams. So you, you start to expand the scope of not just necessarily worried about the NFL, but there's a lot of professional opportunities out there um, who, who will be watching the, these games that you're going to have on tape and uh, just a significant opportunity. But I, I think it also says a lot about Shola when he talked about just kind of the man that Wheaton football created him into um, and how that's kind of helped him handle the uncertainty of of chasing a pro career and and uh, how he's gone about handling both this opportunity specifically but also attacking uh preparation without really knowing when that opportunity was going to come from so shoal is an easy guy to root for and i'm i'll be excited to see him 
uh, on the field Tuesday night. And I think, I think it's going to be one that Wheaton fans are going to be excited to, uh, a little bit of what we used to see when when the, when the Colts and the Chiefs were on uh, national broadcast, you get to see Andy Studebaker, you know, and and the Talking Head, uh, you know, Wheaton College just loved to hear it, and that's a great opportunity for for him and for Wheaton football to be represented on the national stage. And again, if if you missed that, it's seven o'clock Central on Fox Sports One. Uh, Shola will be uh, part of the Conquerors. There's a it's a six team league and they will be facing uh, the generals on on Tuesday night led by former LSU and NFL quarterback Zach Mettenberger. So uh, certainly some familiar names when you when you roll through both of these rosters and and it'll be exciting to see Shola among them and hear and see Wheaton College represented uh, on the national stage. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Once again, we want to thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Thunder Sports Report. Um, as always, feel free to let us know how we're doing um, on any of our platforms. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean. Leave us a like or a comment, um, subscribe, and let us know how we can better um, keep you informed on some of the stories of these Wheaton athletes and alumni and coaches. Um, we want to provide an outlet for that, and we've, we've done so this fall and want to continue to do so as we move into the winter. So thank you so much for being with us uh, as we do that. Um, as always, for Rusty Lindsay, I'm Abram Erickson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. 